I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space! Land of hope and glory Mother of the free How shall we Welcome back, it's your Juno. Uh, today we are finishing up the space race. Um, it has been now five episodes and now 11 weeks. Um, Holy, and, and, and that was what, we started about halfway through the life of the pod, so it's kind of just putting yeah. into perspective how long we've been locked in here. Yeah. And I know, yeah. I know things are reopening, but are you going out? I'm not fucking going out. I'm not going out, and this pod isn't ending when we start no. going out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, th- these guys two weeks ago, like Malcolm managed to exclude me. Um, it hurt my mm-hmm. feelings a lot. Oh, maybe it's been 12 weeks then. <laughs> hurt my feelings Holy a lot. Shit. Um, you got, uh, you know, I missed out on the last space race. Um, no, you didn't. Oh no, it was right last week. No, you missed on the one where they hexed the moon. Right. Which sucks because yeah. I wanted to talk about that so badly. I just yeah. want you to picture coming in from like 
you know, being out in the middle of nowhere with no cell service for four days, you come back to the, you know, get to a campsite that has cell service, open up your phone. And the first thing you see is people tweeting about hexing the moon. I mean, it was, it was an experience I won't soon forget. Um, and just, I remember a tweet from like March about someone whose boss went into the woods for eight weeks and uh, yeah, how, how, like, I have to tell the guy that the NBA is canceled, but it's not because LeBron James, uh, because, uh, died. Kobe died, yeah. Uh, LeBron James is not dead. No. As, as far as I know. Um, but... But yeah, so we are finishing up uh, the Space Race. Obviously, we now have another series going, and that's on the, the Civil War. It's a shorter series. Um, and we'll be back to that uh, next Thursday. But... Um, or maybe next Friday. We'll see. Um, but for now, we are, are finishing up the series. And, and so for you today we are going to present some counterfactuals, things that almost happened or could have happened, but didn't, why they didn't happen, and what could have happened if they did. So we're going it, it's our It's our um, uh, hypothetically episode. Um, yeah, exactly. So we're um, going to start with probably... Let's say, hypothetically speaking, that uh, Britain won the space race. I mean, the, um, reading this, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know this happened until, you know, I saw this, but... Half an hour ago. <laughs> that this rocks dude this is something only yeah. like the brits in the middle of like their their euphoria from winning the from winning world war Two. this is something that only they could have come up with um yeah so it's it's it was called the mega rock which is short for mega rocket i would assume because they i'm actually not sure i'm gonna they, look at that right they now pretty much wanted to send a british pilot yes, into is. space on a modified v2 rocket in 1947. in 1947 yeah so keep in mind that the first human space flights were in 1961 and and, and the british were considering doing it in 1947 now yes this means that britain would have essentially won the space race before it even started um but uh to say it was a modified v2 would be a little bit inaccurate. Like, to say that that's a modified V2 would be like saying that, you know, the Corvette is a... Whatever Corvette they've got coming out now is a modified Model T. Um, Because, like, it is a vastly different and and much more advanced rocket. But at the same time, it is uh, just about the most baller low-tech rocket ever proposed. And and we'll get into that in a second. Um, But essentially, what happened was... uh, in 1946, the empire was, like, already collapsing and everyone knew it. Yeah. Uh, Britain was completely bankrupt, and so uh, the government of Clement Attlee, he was a Labour Prime Minister, was basically looking around for ways to increase British morale um, at the same time as he was actively trying to decolonize. And we'll get into Clement Attlee's unique take on imperialism um, later, because it's actually relevant. Um, but there was a proposal put on his desk... By this guy named R.A. Smith, who is a member of the British Interplanetary Society, which is um, is a group that's existed for like well over a hundred years. Um, that's basically just like a space advocacy and study group, and and so they were, you know, making designs for lunar landers back in the seventies that, or, sorry, uh, in the thirties that included like powder rockets, like fireworks and shit like that. Um, absolutely legendary. I mean, they group. just they just love space, and they don't really care what they have to do to get there. Yeah, well, like, for a really long time, they were, like, the leading space agency. Because, yeah, because um, who and, else was investing in space? 
Yeah, and, and for a long time, even like everyone expected that the British would be the first because because they're the they're for, at that point. I mean, they were considered the best at everything. They were, and they were the best at everything, especially technology, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's not until like after the war that America sort of becomes the leading technological power. So, anyways, this guy puts this proposal for this rocket. Uh, onto Clement Attlee's desk, and it's rejected. Yeah, because what um, the fuck? Yeah, and the first British citizen doesn't fly into space until, like, 45 years later, and that's Helen Sharman. She visits the, the mirror of the Soviet space station. Um, but the this thing was, like, ridiculous. So um, I'm going to, like, if we're getting into technical specifications here, this thing was 17 and a half meters tall uh, and 2.18 meters uh, wide, so very small. Again, it's based off of uh, a missile, like a, not even an intercontinental missile, but a ballistic missile. Um, but it essentially had it had 265 kilonewtons of thrust, um, and to carry, and it was able to carry a payload of. 586 kilograms or 1,291 pounds to uh, 300 kilometers. Uh, so the, the boundary for space is called the Kármán line, uh, is 100 kilometers. Um, and so it, it, like, it would go well into space. So does, um, in terms of like, you know, the, is, so could they theoretically have achieved orbit with this thing? No. Or would no. it have been suborbital? It was, it was a suborbital thing, and, and I'll get into that in just a second. Um, because, uh, yeah, there was... So, orbital rockets, at this point, require staging. Uh, which is essentially, this was um, invented by Tsiolkovsky, who was a Russian school teacher in the very early 1900s, uh, before the revolution, uh, and after the revolution, shortly after. And, and he, he came up with all these theories about rockets that would hold true um before they were ever really used you know the first liquid rocket was was uh created in um 1929 by an american um so basically his theory was that you would stage your rockets so essentially um you have uh, a fuel tank with an engine attached to it uh and then when that fuel tank runs out of fuel you, you get rid of it. Uh, separate it. Yeah, you drop it along with the engine. Um, and on top of that, you have perhaps a less powerful but more efficient engine. And then you can keep staging uh, like that. And so computers were not advanced enough to really do that. Um, and they didn't know really anything about manually piloting this thing. And it would be quite the ride. Um, so, would have been um, fun at least. Maybe. Um, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the, the idea was, like, essentially it was a one-stage rocket, and then the, it would have a parachute and crush pads on the bottom, so it would go up to 300 kilometers, re-enter the atmosphere, um, and then drift down, uh, and, and softly land. Um, but no, the, it didn't have any stages, and... But the thing is, is because it was, they're adapting it from a missile, and they also don't really know anything about rockets, um, or, or like advanced rocketry or anything like that. This thing was accelerating supposedly at three point three g's. Uh, that means that three point three times the force of Earth's gravity, 
um, which would make the pilot feel like 3.3 times their own weight, uh, which is incredibly uncomfortable. Um, and I mean, is dangerous. that have they reached? Is that past what they would use for a modern space flight, or is that? I mean, modern space flight. You know, sometimes you'll get up to one point something. Um, now on the way back, you'll get higher as you slow yeah. down and you hit the atmosphere. Um, but modern space flight, usually it's like 1.7. You, you normally don't reach two. Um, and that doesn't mean that the human body can't take three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, mean, is, it is, it is uncomfortable. There's been fighter pilots that have pulled like 20 instantaneous. Yeah, well, you, that's instantaneous. So you can pull, uh, I, I'm pretty sure there was a guy who pulled something 30 something instantaneous once and survived. Um, but for prolonged periods of time, it's not really safe to do more than, like, seven if you're a highly trained and Olympic athlete level mm -hmm. of fitness. Or a fighter um, pilot level of fitness. A.K.A. Olympic yeah. athlete level of fitness. Um, so, uh, or you're an F1 driver. Um, but yeah, so the, uh, um, the proposal gets rejected, uh, for money concerns. Um, but... We're just going to sort of imagine, uh, humor us for a second, and, and imagine that Clement Attlee looked at this proposal, uh, and he said, yes, let's do it. Let's go ahead. It was a fairly cheap rocket. Um, so it was, it was quite funny because it used, so, so all liquid fuel rockets use a combination, or simple liquid fuel rockets use a combination of a fuel and an oxidizer. Usually the oxidizer is just liquid oxygen. But essentially this is because things can't combust without oxygen. Um, and usually with a rocket, you're not in the presence of any oxygen or a significant amount to combust. Uh, so you carry your combustible uh, and your agent that allows it to combust. Um, but uh, this was going to use, uh, and I'm completely serious, just like alcohol uh, and, and liquid oxygen. Um, and, and so it would fly up, uh, for about 148 seconds, uh, and then shut off, and then you'd have a significant amount of time, probably, like, 20 minutes in weightlessness, 30 says, minutes, and then it, it would come back It says that down. the cabin was not pressurized. How the fuck would they have done that? <laughs> well, you just wear a spacesuit. Right, like, essentially, um... The, the, um, it's dangerous to pressurize cabins, uh, and it's potentially less dangerous to pressurize a spacesuit. So the idea was that the cabin was essentially just a shield for the pilot and a place where all their controls were, uh, and then, uh, they would have their own pressurized suit that they would wear that would, um you know, keep them, uh, uh, safe from, from the vacuum, which they would be exposed to for a significant amount of time. Yeah. It would be nothing that anyone would do today. Uh, and in, and by the time people actually started sending rockets to space, it was nothing that was ever considered. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, be, but keep in mind, this is right after world war two, right? Like yeah. they, and they, and now thanks to, you know, operation paperclip and, you know, all the Nazi scientists being given, either partial or full immunity and, you know, being brought into work. Um, this kind of thing was on everyone's mind, you know. They wanted to see, because Germany had been experimenting with the the rockets throughout the entire, throughout the war, they wanted to see if, you know, 
could actually go to space. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, today you wear a pressure suit that is pressurized inside a cabin that is also pressurized. Uh, just a double safe, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, they predicted, um, a lot of things, you know, that, that, that were pretty clever, um, for the time. So, for example, they, they effectively had, like, a vacuum orientation system that would use jets of hydrogen peroxide to stabilize this, um, this rocket, um, and, uh, you know, all these separations, these telescopes that they, um, that they, uh, uh, invented, um, and so, you know, they also optimized the rocket design so that you would stay at a constant level of Gs, and I'm just looking here, by the way, and it actually, um, for the Mercury rockets, uh, which sent the first American astronauts into space, the maximum figure was 9Gs, um, it doesn't get that high anymore, um, but again, those were both fitted on top of, like, actual, uh, like, nuclear missiles, uh, and so were the Gemini rockets, and the, the first American rocket to be, like, design-built to actually send people to space was the Saturn 1B, uh, and then the Saturn 5. Um, so, uh, they also had a dead man switch, uh, in the flight, which is very clever, so they basically have it manually piloted, um, but if the, 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 the pilot would have their hands on the controls, uh, and if their hand fell off the control because they passed out, it would automatically switch to be radio controlled. This is all very advanced for 1946. Um, you know, and they, they were doing all these very clever, you know, mechanical things to do with, like, air density for their staging rather than computers, because computers were, you know, barely functional and, and very big at the time. Um, so... Like, it, they, they were very clever about this thing, and it was pretty cheap. But, obviously, rockets are not, uh, that expensive. I mean, um, compared to a full-on, like, you know... Compare, and considering that they probably had a ton of these V2s sitting around captured, it was more like yeah, making, um, making your military surplus work rather than, you know, let's do this yeah, and I mean, this be the only option. Unfortunately, this wasn't, like, it, it was too far from the V2 to, to actually modify the uh, vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, it was just sort of based on the design. Um, finally, I found what it's based on. Um, huh. But, uh, unfortunately, yeah, you couldn't just take the V2 rocket uh, and put a capsule on it like they were doing. Well, they actually were doing that at the time in America um, and, and the Soviet Union. Um, but, yeah, so... Um, the they wouldn't advance as quickly. Uh, I I can say definitively as um, the Americans advanced after putting two uh, people up into suborbital flights because uh, the technology did not really exist to put someone into orbit and take them back down. Uh, whereas America, they just had to find a more powerful nuclear missile um, that they already had, and. Um, so you would find a lot of suborbital flights, and they would definitely try and develop a, a, a manner in which to, um, you know, probably lengthen the Megarock, stage it uh, to, to put somebody into orbit, but it, it would not 
be more. So what you're saying is, you know, if it were me running, if it were me running the country in 1947, I would have handled it. Britain would have won the Space Race. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and so, uh, yeah, they wouldn't have developed as quickly. But but the fact of the matter is that the first person in space would be British, um, and that would be huge, especially like, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, the space race hadn't even started yet, right? There was no challenge. Yeah. There was no Sputnik. Right. This would be somebody in space before the first satellite, um, which I'm sure would actually completely change uh, doctrines of other countries trying to get into space. Yeah, I but mean, why I'm bother also, with a satellite? Who cares? Well, I'm sure. So, for example, I'm sure everyone would start using the more American model, where essentially, and I mentioned this uh, previous episode, um, where essentially the Americans like to make big jumps and then fill in the gaps with infrastructure, whereas the Soviets like to develop, 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 and then slowly work their way up, right? So the Americans would land on the moon uh, before they'd send all these fancy orbiters, whereas the Soviets, you know, had all these space stations and stuff ready, and they studied all this, uh, these effects of microgravity on people before they even, you know, planned to have a moon landing. Um, but, uh, so I, I'm sure that, uh, as other countries, and I'm sure more minor countries, uh, especially humiliated minor countries, um, would attempt to get people into space. You know, maybe Japan, uh, at a certain point, obviously not in the 40s or 50s even, um, would try it, you know, maybe other European nations, um, and, and, and maybe other countries that sort of considered themselves on the up and up, like, like Brazil. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I couldn't comment on that definitively. Um, but I think one of the biggest effects this would have is that, um, in 1951, Clement Attlee is defeated by Winston Churchill in one of the weirdest elections in British history. You guys, you guys thought wins... the Democratic primary was weird? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, th- this um, is even, this is fucking whack. It was so weird. So, he won the popular vote. Um, I'm just going to pull up the numbers here. Uh, so, uh, they had a small majority of um, five seats um, and and so they uh, um, you know, Winston Churchill runs against Clement Attlee. Winston Churchill is very sick and it sort of seems to a lot of people that like people vote for Churchill in the expectation that he will soon resign and they will get his deputy, Clement Attlee, a.k.a. what's going on in, a, yeah. in America like na- right now, as we talked about uh, yesterday. Um, and another notable thing that happens here is that the Liberal Party gets absolutely destroyed. Um, but, uh, and, and so now the Liberal Democratic Party. But uh, essentially... Um, the Clement Attlee wins the popular vote, or the the Labour Party wins the popular vote by two hundred thousand people, uh, aka point eight percent, but they still uh, lose the uh, the majority government that they have, um, and and Winston Churchill becomes prime minister uh, once again. So um, it was fucked. It was weird. Something, it was weird. something happened, but again, this was this was back before 
real I mean everyone believed in sort of the sanctity of democracy so no one would really try and tamper with it would they I, that, I don't that know. That was what everyone actually. believed. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily know if it was uh, tampered with more than just... I mean, I don't know if it was tampered with more than just very clever uh, screwing around on the part of the Tories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, we could get into it in a later episode, but I didn't actually do any research into it. Um... But yeah, so um, Clement Attlee in this election loses the prime ministership. But I, I imagine uh, his government was quite tired. Um, they'd implemented most of the reforms, and, and so people were starting to go against Attlee. Um, you know, like Nye Bevan and, and, and other famous labor figures. Um, and, and so they lost. But I imagine that if you had this like great national triumph... Um, this huge national triumph for the uh, the Labour Party, uh, I, I can easily imagine Clement Attlee winning the election. Um, and, and so, you know, if that happens, that actually affects, I mean, and not really to get into great man history here, uh, but it really affects how things go because... Um, that would leave Clement Attlee in the prime minister's seat to deal with basically the final death of the British Empire. Um, and obviously, Clement Attlee would have a vastly different view of uh, uh, how that would all go uh, and how that should all go compared to Winston Churchill uh, or Anthony Eden. Um, so he was a, he was an imperialist. Most all British people basically were at that point. Um, but he was also like a pragmatist, right? He, essentially his belief was that Britain could not hold on to their massive empire. They were out of money, uh, their population was exhausted, they were being eclipsed as global powers by the Soviet Union uh, and the United States, um, and they were basically done. So what he believed was basically just let go of what you can't hold, trim the fat, and then hold what you can, a.k.a. get out of India, which he did as Prime Minister in 1947, get out of the Middle East, which he did as Prime Minister. Um, you know, notably, he was the one who made Israel, um, which at the time was not a bad idea. Um, and, uh, you know, he uh, basically wanted to let go of everything east of Egypt uh, and and keep Africa and keep what they had in the Atlantic uh, as sort of like Cold War for the course of the Cold War at least. Yeah. Because um, at this point, I mean, the focus was rapidly shifting from celebrating beating the Nazis to then being like, okay, now we got to get back to what we were trying to do before Hitler stepped in, which is crush the commies. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even a pretty far left guy like Atlee, who also, you know, made the NHS, um, was into that, which is, I mean, if the guy, it's, it's sort of a product of being like part of that era of of British politics. I mean, also you have to remember that Stalin's in charge. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Um, no further elaboration there because we don't want to alienate any MLs, but yeah, Stalin's in charge and they view him as a sort of 
second Hitler and sort of he was like an enemy of my enemy is my friend even throughout the even throughout World yeah. War Two. And then the war ends and they realize that they have to deal with this guy. That's sort of their view. Without saying anything that would offend the Marxist Leninists that follow us, uh, I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say that Stalin was not popular in the West. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um and and so yeah, he wanted to hold on to Africa and basically his idea was um develop it economically uh and then you're either gonna give them dominion status like they did to south africa um or you're going to sort of you know admit them into britain as their overseas territories are administered um and uh so obviously that was like the plan and and the, the british plan was always to hold on to africa no matter what and that was thrown out the window after the suez crisis which was uh, essentially, if you don't know, Egypt used to be part of Britain. Um, they sort of, they had like a, a puppet king, this guy Farouk, uh, genuinely psychotic uh, guy. He, he started off being this big reformer, but then he ran into the British and they didn't want him to reform anything. So he essentially just went insane. One of his big hobbies was driving one of his, I think, 400 sports cars um, down like the main strips in uh, Alexandria and shooting at people. Hell yeah. You know what? Um, sometimes, sometimes you just gotta let it out, man. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. That letting it out is more constructive than other people. But you know what? Every man's gotta let it out at some point. It's like some guys go fishing. So, some, some guys, guys go, go fishing. Some guys go on shooting sprees down the main drag in one of their four hundred sports cars. I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, in nineteen fifty-two, uh, he is ousted uh, in a coup by a bunch of left-wing military officers uh led by uh of course the king himself uh a a uh, an army officer um and the guy who if you ask any egyptian is the exception to the rule uh about great man history being bullshit um lieutenant colonel gamal abdel nasser so he is a sort of a left-wing nationalist type of guy not necessarily he's kind of a socialist not necessarily a communist um, but yeah, so he, he leads this coup, uh, takes power in Egypt and immediately starts railing against imperialism and stuff like that. And, and of course, at this point, the Suez Canal is owned by an Anglo-French company. Uh, so at a certain point, Nasser tries to go to the British to get funding for a project he wants called the Aswan Dam. Uh, which uh, is this this big dam on the Nile that he wants for hydroelectric power. Um, talks sort of fall apart. Um, Anthony Eden goes to meet him uh, and accidentally offends him. Uh, and and so, um, you know, the, uh, the talks fall apart, and in, and in response, Nasser essentially takes over and nationalizes the Suez Canal, you know, kicks the British and the French out. Uh, in response, what uh, Anthony Eden does is decides, okay, um, we have to deal with this. Like, we can't just let this go. So him and, and the, the French um, essentially conduct, a, they, they put a plan together. Uh, and so Eden thinks that Nasser is, like, genuinely, like, a psychotic guy. He sort of sees him as the next Mussolini, which is not true at all but that's how, how he sees him um 
and whereas the French, and so he wants Nasser gone as his primary goal, whereas the French want to keep the canal as their primary goal. Um, and so they conduct a plan where essentially uh, Israel invades Egypt and occupies the Sinai Peninsula, and then under the guy, uh, so then uh, Britain and France issue an ultimatum to both sides. They are secretly in cahoots with Israel. They they issue an ultimatum to both sides, saying, you know, you know, Israel leave, uh, or else we'll step in. Like, you know, stop fighting, or else we'll step in. And then when either side refuses, inevitably it's it's Israel because yeah. um, Egypt didn't refuse. Then they step in under the guise of putting soldiers in between the two sides, uh, take back the canal, um, and call it a day. Um, and and you know the idea is that if they decisively defeat the Egyptians. Either they will rise up in revolution against Nasser himself, or uh, they can argue that the Egyptians or like Nasser can't leave them or whatever, and, and come up with a Cassius Belli to just march into Alexandria or Cairo, and Cairo. Um, so keep in mind, uh, all of this happens because the Brits decided to say fuck it and send a rocket into space. No, no, not yet. Not yet. This is what happened in real life. Yeah. Yeah, right? So this is Anthony Eden, the conservative in charge of this. He is genuinely, yeah. like, he, he's sort of on the left of the conservative party, but he is mourning the death of the empire, and he sort of, this is, so we're at, so where people wanted Atlee to send a rocket into space uh, to get British morale up, he wanted to start a war to get British morale up. Yeah. Unfortunately for the British. Because, you know. Uh, Dying empires just fucking love their wars. I mean, look at the U.S., you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, unfortunately uh, for the um, 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 for the, the British, the French are not very competent. Uh, and they're not capturing enough of the canal as they want to be. Like, they're not going fast enough. And America gets really pissed off at the British. Um and basically says, we will ruin your economy, and they could. We will ruin your economy even more if you uh, don't leave. And so there's a ceasefire. Britain is humiliated. Um, Eden's prime minister, like, his prime ministership is destroyed, or his premiership. Uh, and that's that. But if Attlee was in charge, um, I find it more likely that Nasser actually would get the funding for his ass one down, and this stuff would never happen. Uh, that said... Um, so I think it's actually quite possible um, that, you know, obviously the British just couldn't hold on to Africa, but I can totally imagine more British-aligned African nations like Kenya and uh, not breaking free, uh, and South Africa not breaking free and becoming absolutely psychotic. Um, and so I can actually see definitely, like, you know, to this day continued ties within the commonwealth between, you know, Kanzuk and maybe South Africa's included in that. Maybe Kenya's included in that. Um, and I, I can definitely see, and, and obviously I, I can't predict how any space race would go if the British had won it, but just geopolitically, I think that things just would not have gone as bad in Egypt if Atlee had managed to save his government by sending somebody to space. Um, so the second scenario we have today, and this is, uh, I think, also really... A less uh, obscure one, but a more interesting one, is the idea that the Soviet Union wins the space race. Um, Which, I mean, this is kind of the obvious one to go for, given that it was, you know, a war or a race. 
What if the other yeah, guy exactly. wins? So yeah. Um, how this would have happened? I mean, we we talked about it, but the basic, I guess, reason why the U.S. managed to pull ahead after the USSR managed to hit a lot of the early milestones was that you know it was domestic trouble that kind of crippled uh, the USSR's space program. Um, Just as it was domestic trouble that crippled the yeah. U.S. initially. So yeah. Khrushchev obviously gets removed by Brezhnev in a coup, and that sort of causes a knock-on effect that means Brezhnev is just using the space program for politics. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if Brezhnev hadn't done this, means that Korolev, probably one of the brightest minds in the Soviet space program, doesn't die of stress in 1966. Yeah, so essentially what Brezhnev does, and for some reason he thinks this is going to work, because, you know, nothing like good old friendly, you know, competition for results, even in an, an ostensibly socialist system. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Uh, is he has different, he sets up different design bureaus, and he has them compete against each other, um, which ha basically means a bunch of people compete against the grand designer and the, the central designer of the Soviet space program, Sergei Korolev. We've talked about him. Uh, and, yeah, essentially he dies of stress in 1966. Um, another thing Brezhnev does is he sidelines Yuri Gagarin, or yeah, Yuri Gagarin, and so he basically pushes him out of the public eye, he bans him from going on space flights after a Soviet space accident, um, and this is basically because he just doesn't see the space program as expedient, whereas Khrushchev definitely did. Um... And so, in this hypothetical where it's Brezhnev who gets ousted from the party after failing to oust Khrushchev, um, or whatever, put in a mental asylum, as Khrushchev liked to do, um, it's completely possible that Korolev lives uh, with a unified design bureau, and that the rocket he designs, the N1L3, uh, which is a truly magnificent rocket, um, I'll get into that in a second, functions. Because what happened, essentially, is that he dies in 1966, his design bureau cannot function, uh, and they test it four times, and it fails every single time. Um, and this is a lunar rocket, right? This is like the Saturn V. This costs billions and billions of dollars, uh, all these failures. Um, but this was, in typical Soviet fashion, a truly spectacular rocket. So the Saturn V, um... I'm sure you all know what it looks like. You know, they had... It was powered its first stage by these five massive uh, uh, rocket motors. Whereas the N1 was a little bit different. Uh, because their solution was that instead of um, uh, having five very large engines on the first stage, we were going to have, like, 23, I believe... Um, medium-sized engines. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, uh, it's basically just this massive cone that's got, like, 60 engines overall, and, and it would deliver two people to the moon, one person to land. So, hypothetically, yes, Korolev wins, Gagarin still gets to increase, you know, morale in the Soviet Union and around the world for you know, this accomplishments the Soviet space program, and maybe does not necessarily get sidelined from going on flights. Um, Which obviously and means so in, he's not on the plane, or at least, you know. 
Yeah, he's not in the plane that cra- he doesn't get in the plane crash. Yeah. You know, and and maybe it was an act of God, and he was gonna die anyways. But let's just say it wasn't, right? Um. And so in 1968, shocking the world, uh, Alexei Leonov, of course, the first guy to walk in space and the guy who was supposed to be the first person on the moon, uh, descends to the lunar surface in what is called an LK lander, uh, which is a very small one-person Soviet lander that they designed, uh, and he plants uh, the hammer and sickle into the lunar surface live on television. You know, he declares he came to the advancing world and the workers who hold it up, etc., etc., propaganda victory for the East Bloc. Um, now, this is in 1968, of course, so one must consider the ramifications on America. The Vietnam War was already unpopular. Lyndon B. Johnson had basically ruined the Democratic Party, um, gets ousted. Nixon already or won in our world, but he would win an even more crushing landslide uh, in this one. Uh, and he will go pretty hard uh, as a big cold warrior until he gets a victory uh, in the space race, which is they've just been denied uh, yet another one. And this sort of brings us into the third scenario that we want to talk about. We'd mentioned this before, uh, which is essentially this idea of the space shuttle never existing. Um, and instead Which, of... I mean, before we started this series, I was always under the impression that the space shuttle was like a net positive and that it was just this really fucking cool, like plain-looking thing that went to space. Well, it's an incredible piece of engineering. Like, yeah, it's cool. And then, for and then, 1976. Yeah, and then we started, you know, I started finding out, oh, wait, it's actually kind of shitty because it costs more to prep it than it would, you know, and replace all the stuff that you have to drop than to just build a new rocket. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's there's more than, than just that. I mean, it also was heavily restrictive of the type of payloads you could put into space, how far into space you could put them. Obviously, it was actually a very dangerous vehicle. Um, but yeah, um, so... Obviously, if the Soviets land on the moon first, that does not mean that Apollo does not successfully land Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon on July 20th, 1969. It just means that Neil Armstrong is now not the first person on the moon. He's the first American on the moon. Uh, and the honor of being the first person on the moon goes to Alexei Leonov uh, in perpetuity. In fact... One can even say that the first person in space was a Brit. The first person on the moon was a Soviet. Like, that, that you can... These scenarios, they, they're not all mutually exclusive. But the scenario three, I think, here with the space shuttle never existing is reliant uh, on uh, scenario two of the USSR winning the space race because um, I do not see America having... Any American government having the political capital to keep spending like spending inordinate yeah. amounts on space i mean because after that after you know what next what, once they've landed people onto the moon what are you gonna go for mars yeah like there's no there's no theory that yeah there's no way that they can whip up enough you know yeah political capital especially once you've basically just said we want everybody yeah yeah they're like like there's no point in rubbing it in yeah so um or spending all this money to rub it in at least um, but, yeah, if they still have yet to have a big victory, um, then I, I think that political capital was invested, would be investable. Um, and so after the Apollo missions, uh, there was this, uh, proposal for something called the Apollo Applications Program, which would essentially use technology tested in Apollo to 
do a few things. It would be to set up bases on the moon for long duration stays, uh, to do Venus flybys, crude, um, and eventually to land Americans on Mars, all with Apollo technology uh, and applications therein. Um, and unfortunately, um, Nixon did not give this the go-ahead because he saw that he would not have the political capital to give it the go-ahead, uh, and instead they worked on the space shuttle, uh, which would end up being kind of catastrophic uh, for NASA. Um, but if they're looking for a victory, then they're basically going to say, well, we'll race you to Mars. And then the Soviet Union has to say, all right, we'll race you to Mars. And then I'll get to that in a And second. then it just kind of spirals out of control because then, it, you know, thinking about the amount of engineering required to get people to the moon and then comparing that to how much it would take to get to Mars. Right? It's incredible. You, I wish it happened. You, you have, yeah, I mean, from but think about how much money would have been diverted to that. Yeah, I mean, but usually that money came out of things like the military. Well, you so. hope so, but... Yeah, I mean, initially it did, at least. Um, but also, I mean, if you're raising every American's do like tax dollars by like five bucks per quarter for this, I'm, I'm, it's pretty worth it, right? I guess. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Apollo Applications Program... They the first thing they wanted to do was a moon base, and and one might say, well, they get the moon base first, and they they beat the Soviet Union. But I, I don't think that's actually true that that would happen because, um, you know, the Soviet Union put the first space station in space, and there was like no fanfare about it. Like I don't think staying for somewhere for longer than the other guy is really a a huge achievement unless you're a scientist, um, and obviously. Most people aren't. But that said, the lunar bases uh, were quite an impressive sort of what they were trying to do. So um, this was actually cancelled in, in our world before Apollo 11 was even launched, uh, this idea. But essentially, uh, they would develop two versions of the lunar lander that they... Or two extra versions of the lunar lander that they used... Um, for the actual Apollo missions to be called the Lunar Module Taxi and the Lunar Module Shelter. Um, and as well, they would have like an open cab lunar rover and everything like this. So the taxi would bring astronauts uh, as well as equipment like science and, and rovers and stuff to the surface, whereas the shelter, they would set several of them up and they could actually live in them. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, this, this was the idea... That you know you would so the 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 Lem taxi was just uh, um, a bigger version essentially of the the lunar module and it would uh, they would stay on the surface for two weeks and then they would go back uh, uh, into orbit and and come home um, etc cetera, etc cetera. so essentially you have these small Apollo like uh, yeah I mean um, just missions just guys being dudes on the moon you know yeah. Yeah. Nothing, so no, the, like, um, massive victories. No, just, but it's cool. And it's great science. I mean, their their final plan um, called for uh, three simultaneous Apollo missions uh, that would have six guys for this, on the surface for 180 days, um, which would, uh, you know, would and you, you'd have, people like... people would do it. You could do it. 
And uh, they could. And also, I mean, you would also have, like, the amount of science you could do with that. You could essentially survey half lunar surface. Like, the moon is very small, right? It's important to remember that. You could survey much of the lunar surface by doing, like, two or three of those 180-day uh, missions. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was the initial plan. And then they also had these plans for, um, you know sending humans around Venus, um, and so, like, a crewed, uh, mission, so they would use a, a modified Saturn V to send three crew on this man Venus flyby, and they would do something very cool called a wet lab, or a wet workshop, where, essentially, they would have the final stage of the rocket, and then instead of detaching it, they would just empty it of all its fuel, and move some equipment into it, and, um, turn it into a living space laboratory. Um, and so, I mean, that is brilliant use of space. Uh, never actually be done in real life except for the Apollo Skylab space station, which was created out of an unused um, fuel tank. Uh, they just modified the fuel tank before even launching it. Um, but yeah, so uh, they would live into these empty fuel tanks um, until they return to Earth. Uh, and they also plan to sort of move on from that those Venus uh, um, flybys to an actual Mars mission. Unfortunately, there was never any Apollo application program um, technology like or concepts developed for the Mars mission itself, but it was always like an explicit um, goal. Uh, another thing that actually wouldn't happen in this timeline uh, is, you know, we mentioned in, I think, episode 3 about the Apollo-Soyuz test project, the ASTP, which was a 1975 mission that was a cooperative mission between America and the Soviet Union. It was essentially the symbolic end of the space race, uh, and it would pave the way for increased cooperation on unmanned missions that would eventually lead to the International Space Station. Um, so I can totally see international cooperation in space not becoming a thing at all, or, or at least unless you're allies, um, just because there's never this defining moment of an American and Soviet cosmonaut shaking hands in space, because I don't think the space race would ever really properly end for decades and decades. Yeah. That said, I do actually think that if the Soviets had the technology to land on the moon, like this... If you're starting with equal moon landing technology between Americans and, and the Soviet Union, you basically say, race you to the to, to Mars, I think that the Soviet Union would win. Um, quite simply because they had... I know it's funny because it's the Soviet Union, but at the time, they had far better nuclear reactors than the uh, the Americans. Um, so they could have figured out... They could have figured out, you know, the power problem. The power problems one, yeah, um, both for uh, getting like having a ship on the way to um, Mars and also a base on the surface, right? So we we talked about um, I think in episode two when we talked about Apollo thirteen, um, the uh, um, how Apollo missions were powered. They would use hydrogen fuel cells, where they essentially combine hydrogen and oxygen to make water and electricity. Um, you can't really do that on a really long duration mission because 
it's not as efficient as it should be. All right, you need a lot of fuel. Yeah. Um, now, they might use hydrogen fuel cells to create uh, water, but using up your oxygen uh, and hydrogen like that is on a, you know, a mission that could take two and a half years to complete uh, is not a good idea, right? So I, I, I honestly think that the nuclear reactor head start that the Soviet Union had um, would be the thing that decides it. Um, that's not to say that America couldn't just develop a, a, a molten salt reactor, like, in a year and, and win the space race, but I think that if I were to put my money on anyone, it would be the Soviet Union yeah. in that scenario. And also because they were probably more willing to throw more money at um, at winning it at, at that specific point in time, if we're talking about, like, you know, right around the first moon landings. Then yeah. Then it kind of becomes, hey, race you to Mars. Like, I think... At that point, the USSR is, I don't want to say, like, breaking down, but it's showing its cracks, you know? Maybe. And Maybe. I, I they think... Would be, they would be more willing just to go all in on something crazy like that that would carry that much political clout. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that in this specific scenario we've created here, Khrushchev is still in power, mm -hmm. not Brezhnev. Uh, and unlike Brezhnev, Khrushchev actually knows how to manage an economy. Say what you want about his economic reforms, but, like, they actually had the Soviet economy growing. Um, and so I, I think it's completely possible uh, that you see, first of all, um, a, a much more successful Soviet economy. Second of all, I don't know how likely it is that if in 1968 Khrushchev interferes in the Prague Spring. So you could definitely see um, a more socialist and more liberal, like, uh, I know that sounds weird, but like liberalizing and returning to socialism um, in the East Bloc, which I think could probably prolong uh, or even maintain uh, the the status quo there for uh, a much longer, even to this day, uh, if they had actually managed. Like, I, I think that Brezhnev was just about the worst thing to happen, and and the people he brought into power. The worst thing to happen to the to the Soviet Union in the East Bloc because he just didn't know how to run an economy. Um, and I mean, obviously, you can also get into how Brezhnev got them mired in Afghanistan and stuff like that. But I couldn't pretend to say that Khrushchev would necessarily be around by then. I'm just thinking that you know, it's it's quite possible that the Soviet Union just wouldn't be doing as badly at that point. Um. But also, of course, dictatorships are always more willing to throw money at things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I hope you enjoyed the five-part series. I, I think that's just about going to yeah, do it for us that's, today. Uh, that's curtains on this series. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I know. It's weird. So now it's, um, it's bingeable. Uh, we should have waited, you know, all these weeks and released them all at once so you could just go through and listen one after another, but... Pain. Yeah, if you're listening to this now, uh, I advise you to go back and, uh, you know, binge it again. Yeah, yeah. Listen uh, so, yeah, we'll be back days. next week. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, let's see, Joe Biden did a racism today. Joe Biden, yeah, he's he's been really uh, ramping it up. You know, he disappeared, but now he's, he's coming back. And, in a bad way. Yeah, in a bad way. I mean, he's... he's yeah, um, Jake Paul... Oh, that's crazy. His house that's got raided insane. by the FBI and maybe in connection to child pornography. It's either that or it's from... Li they li they raided him from... Well, it was in connection to the looting thing, but I saw the videos of, like, 
three three trucks full of like fully kitted out federal agents with like assault rifles showing up, and I don't think they would pull up to the guy's house like that for stealing some alcohol Who from knows? the store. But um, I think it's more maybe they looked at us into his phone. As a result, uh, they also found assault weapons at his house. So yeah, Jake Paul is not going to be doing that boxing match. And I'm sure there will be other things that will have happened by then. So, um, and then on Friday or Thursday, we will be back with episode two of the Civil War series. Uh, we will be actually talking about the Civil War itself. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to do that for do it for us All today. Right. Um, so I have been Malcolm. I've been Declan. Uh, and this has been your Juno. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.